the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today we're going to talk about whether all the information and especially the entertainment that we allow to flood our screens all day is lulling us into something of a stupor. Megan Garber, a staff writer at The Atlantic, says in a recent piece that our addictions to entertainment are blurring the line between fiction and reality and affecting every part of our civic and private lives. We'll talk about it next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and... I'm really glad you've decided to join us. So if you know much about me at all, you know that I am addicted to information. And what that means more than anything right now is it means I'm addicted to my phone. The phone's the first thing I grab in the morning, last thing I look at before I go to sleep, and all day. I'm taking in information as part of work, as part of play, as part of entertainment on that phone. And if you're like me, you know how hard it is to pull away from that, to put the phone down, turn the data stream off, go do something out in the real world, like interact with other people, without that distraction. So much of our lives have been bombarded and shaped by this easy access, instant access really, to information and entertainment. And look, I'll make the case all day that there are real gains from this. We have access to news and comedy, to our friends and even strangers, in seconds. But I also do wonder about the cons to this new world we found ourselves in. Are we merely amusing ourselves to death? Are we distracting ourselves with novelty and not really addressing real problems, both internal and external? Do we even have clear boundaries anymore between what is fact and real, like a news story, and what's fiction, like a movie? Or all of these things, are they just kind of blending together in this constant stream of information? Megan Garber is a staff writer at The Atlantic, and she's been thinking a lot about these things. In a new piece for The Atlantic, she says, quote, in the future, writers warned, we will surrender ourselves to our entertainment. We will become so distracted and dazed by our fictions that we'll lose our sense of what is real. We will make our escapes so comprehensive that we can't free ourselves from them. 
I think that's such a wonderful and predictive way to talk about the arrow that we're living through right now, where we can't get enough of the information that is so easily accessible, but where it's made us peel away from the real world, from things we really should be making more of an effort to pay more attention to. That's where we begin the conversation today, the question about these things that we carry in our pockets and hold in our hands and the hold that they have on us. I'm really pleased to welcome Megan Garber to Detroit Today to discuss it all. Megan, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So let's talk about these dystopias that writers were concerned about in the 20th century and why you think we're living in some version of them today. People, as I said in the open, predicted that this would happen to us. I think they very much did. Uh, I also think for myself especially, and I think for other people too, when you say the word dystopia and, and you know, in the political context in particular, often the first reference point is Orwell's 1984, this notion that we will be oppressed by a uh, definable big brother figure who will limit freedoms in very obvious ways that, you know, will give us propaganda that will make the world seem not what it is. And that this, um, this force on us and this limitation of freedom will be very vertically integrated and very kind of obviously from one source of power, one regime. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, um, and this is something that Neil Postman in the book Amusing Ourselves to Death talked about as well, is that perhaps our notion of dystopia should adjust a little bit more to the vision given to us by Aldous Huxley in the book Brave New World, where the, the oppression actually and the, the curtailing of freedom and the fact that people are not able to think fully for themselves is actually something that they choose for themselves every day, that they, they look at entertainment as something that um, is an escape from the real world, but they also choose to live within their entertainment. And that becomes the means of their curtailed freedoms. And I do think, just as Postman said, I think that we are in the Huxleyan vision of things right now, where um, we choose every day, just as you said, to limit the attention that we give often to real world problems and instead choose to live in fictions, choose to live in fantasies, choose to live in these worlds on our phones. And very much like you, I too feel there is so much good that can come from that. There is so much social connection. And, you know, escapism is a very important part of being human. We all need it. But I think we are now living in a paradigm where entertainment is not just one facet of life, but evermore it becomes the defining facet of life, the only thing that that we respond to and that shapes our culture. So I, I want to go back to what I was kind of talking about in the open um, where I talked about what I feel like I'm addicted to is, is information. Um, mm. You know, I, I have uh, my social media channels set up to give me all kinds of different information about mostly news, uh, but also some kind of cultural discussions and, and trends. Um, 
and you know I can go to the to the internet through my browser and look at you know every newspaper that I'm curious about or every news source that I'm that I'm curious about. Um, you you say that the problem is that too much of this is entertainment, and I wonder whether even people like me who believe that what they're addicted to is information. Um, <laughs> You know, entertainment bleeds into that. And there's no question. If I go to Facebook to try to see what's going on, I also get a, a, an assortment of reels presented to me. And most of them are pretty silly, right? They are not about uh, information. They're about people and their dogs or people doing weird things with their cars. Um, so, so I wonder if one of the things that is problematic is that we're fooling ourselves a little about the value of of all of this. I mean, uh, I, I tell myself all the time, this is how I, this is how I prepare myself for work. This is how I stay mm -hmm. informed as a citizen. But I'm really also, as you point out, I'm entertaining myself. Exactly. And, you know, there really is nothing wrong with entertainment itself, I would say. Um, like I said, it, it can be a great thing. And I think we all need distraction, need um, to have the world kind of filtered for us through something fun and low stakes and easy. But I would very much agree with the idea that the information and the entertainment have never been so blended together, so blurred, so impossible to distinguish from each other. You can look at the fact, for example, that almost as soon as a big news um, event will happen, we will probably, you know, almost a week later, in a very short amount of time, get a headline about that news event is being converted into a television show, into a docuseries, into a dramedy on HBO or on Netflix or something like that. And I think I've noticed myself feeling this sense almost of postponement where I kind of assume that when the news event happens, maybe I don't have to pay that much attention to it at the time because I can pretty safely assume that very soon that news event will be converted into a TV show, into an entertainment. And then the question becomes, what am I losing in that moment? What am I losing by deferring my attention and my care to something that may or may not happen later, uh, to something that will be changed into something that is fundamentally just fun. And I think very importantly also, when that conversion happens, a TV show that is presented to the audience as mere entertainment has no real obligations to be factual, to be true in the very specific sense. It has only an obligation to be entertaining. And we lose a lot, I think, in that transition and, and in the alchemy between the information and the entertainment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, one of the things or one of the places, I guess, where this blurring seems to, to happen pretty aggressively right now, I think, is uh, the line between news and and comedy. And if we think of mm. um, someone like Jon Stewart and what he was so capably doing uh, with the news, but, but you know, of course, he's a comedian uh, and not really a journalist per se. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it's kind of an accelerant for uh, this idea that there 
aren't real lines uh, or aren't mm-hmm. lines that we need to to think about or respect and and therefore it becomes more difficult uh, to divide the world into well this is news and fact and this is mm-hmm. this is entertainment and I'm not saying that to 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 knock John Stewart of course at all or or the others who kind of come in in his uh, in his footsteps um, I, I enjoy it and I think it's it's gotten more people actually interested in the news perhaps that mm-hmm. uh, that won't watch uh, NBC nightly news but uh, this 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 blurring there is it's conscious it's not it's not subconscious. It's not passive. This was an open attempt to tr- to try to say there aren't these lines that we should be thinking about. Yes, exactly. And I think a really important facet of all of this is that you have the entertainment becoming more and more dominant. Um, you know, the John Stewart's, the Samantha Bees, the Stephen Colbert's, all the different comedians who are, you know, working in the paradigm of John Stewart. Uh, that is all happening while journalism itself is really struggling. And, you know, local journalism in particular has so many problems now, you know, funding problems. Um, You know, it seems almost every week we hear about another local newspaper folding. And that I think is so important here because the danger is that when journalism has those existential threats, that is the basis of everything else. You know, the, the local journalists, as you well know, of course, are the ones who gather the facts that everyone else um, uses to understand the world and to keep people in power accountable and all the wonderful things that journalism does. And when we lose that foundation of facts, but then cede so much to the comedy and the drama and the entertainment in general, that's where the problem comes because then it's very easy to wonder and to think um, what is actually true, you know, is what I'm seeing on the screen presented as kind of news, but kind of not, is it true? Is it something that I can use to understand the world and understand other people? Or is it something that has just been made up for my amusement? I'm talking with Megan Garber. She is a staff writer for The Atlantic, and she recently wrote a piece titled, We've Lost the Plot. Our constant need for entertainment has blurred the line between fiction and reality on television, in American politics, and in our everyday lives. We're talking about uh, the the lines being blurred uh, and the addictions that we have to information and entertainment that make it harder to uh, understand the distinction between uh, information and entertainment. Uh, We'd love to hear from you as well during the conversation. Uh, Give us a sense of whether you feel consumed by the media and information that you take in every day. Do you feel like it's hard to put down the phone or step away from the internet and interact more freely with people out in the real world and uh, things out in the real world? Do you think we need clearer boundaries between ourselves and the media channels that we have 24-7 access to? Uh, Also give us a call and let us know if you really enjoy this endless streaming of 
content and information that we have access to. You think uh, our lives are better for it. Uh, also give us a sense if you're someone who thinks uh, maybe this is a bit problematic, uh, but that uh, that it portends for much better things in the future. Uh, let us know what things you think we could change about the way we consume all this information that would make it more productive. 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Um, Megan, I want to talk about social media in particular, uh, because I, I, uh, I, I do think that its influence is distinct here, and um, it is something that I think uh, does sort of promise all kinds of things that I think will end up happening. Um, but right now, I think it's, it's kind of problematic. Um, I, I tend to compare social media to other forms of communication that have developed over time, right? So... Um, mm. I don't think it's necessarily distinct from something like the telegraph or the telephone mm -hmm. or the television or the radio. And if you go back to the dawn of those forms of, of communication, which, which revolutionized communication as, at least as much at their times uh, as social media has for us, they all had troubled infancies too. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, the telegraph was used um, infamously to spread misinformation, disinformation uh, in the run-up to the Civil War to get people all worked up uh, about the idea that a war was coming, that the North would would uh, prevent the South from seceding, that uh, that they would stop Southern states, states from being able to enslave people. Um, uh, but by the time World War One and World War Two come around, it's an indispensable form of, of communication. Uh, the things that are, are managed uh, during those times could not have happened without the telegraph, uh, the, the radio, the television. Um, there was junk on those things, too, for a really long time before they became these critical uh, forms of communication. So I wonder what you make of, of social media now and the promise of it as it, as it pertains to this, this subject about truth and, and the, the, the boundary between reality and fiction and the blurring that goes on uh, it's probably in, in some ways more radical uh, because social media uh, is, is so instant and it's so everywhere. Um, but it's, but I, I wonder if you have the same hopes that maybe I do, uh, that, it will, that it will grow up someday. Yes, very much so. Um, I do think one of the things that, that really informs uh, the story that I've written is this notion that comes from Marshall McLuhan, um, you know, the medium is the message. And mm -hmm. those ideas, I think, are, are so important to, to, you know, the history of, of, of our different uh, technological um, capabilities. So essentially, you know, this notion that television, the telegraph, all print also, you know, the, the, <laughs> the, the rise of, of print, um, you know, hundreds of years ago, each of those technologies 
brought a new paradigm um, in terms of the way people were sort of taught to understand the world and take in information. And, um, you know, the television is episodic. It is very passive. Um, it is very emotionally driven and exciting in a lot of ways. And I would say that social media shares a lot of those factors. Social media, um, you know, is instant. Um, it is infinitely scrolling, all of those things. And in a lot of ways, that can be great. Right. Um, and I think, you know, in particular, the, the the best thing about social media is the connection it does afford to other people. I mean, it is amazing that we live in this moment where we can share our perspectives on the world in our own voices, with our own images um, and transmit those out to other people. And that is revolutionary. It is phenomenal. It is in a lot of ways miraculous. It is so wonderful. And, you know, I've been very hopeful about what social media can achieve. And I think a lot of those hopes really have been borne out. Um, but I think the, the problem that we're now reckoning with and the problem that I hope will be in some ways um, solved as the technology does advance and, and become mature um, is that I think social media can sometimes condition us to understand each other, not as humans at all, but as characters in a show. Um, you know, we are experiencing each other through screens. We are experiencing each other despite all the intimacies of social media at a distance. And I think a lot of the language of social media, um, you know, on Twitter, there's this joke about, uh, quote unquote, the main character who is someone that um, people have decided has, you know, done something wrong. And often people will pile onto that person without really, I would say, thinking of them as a person, you know, but as someone defined by that one activity. Um, you know, so this happens a lot on social media where there is this distance. And I do worry a bit that, actually, I worry a lot. <laughs> that um, the sort of character idea and that this notion that people too are fictional, that if that's the paradigm that takes over, um, that will be the problem. That is the kind of fundamental problem that we're reckoning with right now. And I think it can be solved. It can be stopped, but I think it will require us to really take a pause and step back and think together, is this really what we want to become? Is this really what we want the future to look like? You know, this world populated not by people, but by characters in a show. And I would yeah. argue that the answer is no, and that we should, you know, reckon with that and, and change things from here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Megan Garber of the Atlantic. And we'll get going with you, the listeners on the phones and on social. Lucia in Ann Arbor, Brandy in White Lake, Bernadette in Old Redford. We'll start with you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can include your comments that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 
WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join. Uh, our guest today is Megan Garber, a staff writer at The Atlantic. She's got a recent piece that's titled, We've Lost the Plot. Our constant need for entertainment has blurred the line between fiction and reality on television and American politics and in our everyday lives. We're talking about the addictions that we have to information and entertainment, so much of it funneled through these devices that we carry in our pockets and hold in our hands most of the day. Uh, I'm someone who is no longer ashamed to admit that uh, this addiction has got me pretty pretty tightly in its grips. The phone is the first thing I look at in the morning when I wake up, and it is the last thing I do before I, I go to sleep. I tell myself that that's because I need to be informed, that uh, I, I love to know more about so many different things, uh, but it is also entertaining me, uh, and uh, I would be fooling myself to say that it's not question is whether that entertainment is somewhat uh, dangerous, that uh, is it blurring the line between truth and reality. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Give us a call and uh, let us know how you handle all of the information that we have access to. Uh, does it sometimes make it difficult to tell the difference between something that's true or false, real or fiction? Um, do you think we need clear boundaries between ourselves and these media channels that we have 24-7 access to? Uh, also, give us a sense if you are like me and enjoy all of this, um, but maybe think there should be a different way we interact with it uh, in order to make it more productive. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work into the conversation. Let's start today with Brandy in White Lake. Brandy, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. I just I had a um, a small story of something that I've I've told this story many times just to teach somebody something, and if I can reach a broader audience, which is something small that happened in my life um, about eight years ago. Facebook was still kind of new, and I started getting really addicted to it. My daughter was two years old at the time. I was sitting on the couch looking at Facebook, and my daughter said. Mama, put your phone down. And I got kind of angry because I was so into that, that information. I just so wanted to do it. I got angry. She said it again, Mama, put your phone down. When I put my phone down, I looked at my daughter and I realized right then and there, it's up to us to be able to control ourselves. We can't control ourselves. We need to maybe make some other uh, tweaks about how we can, because that's not healthy either. You know, real life is right here. And that's just, People want to put these things on. Now, there's so many things you can go and learn. You can watch a documentary with your kids. You know, you just have to, you know, see that that's kind of a problem. So I think yeah. I hope somebody else could learn that. So, Brandy, tell me, you said this was eight years ago. Uh, what does that dynamic look like in your family now? I, I feel like these things have gotten more addictive for most people. Have you been able to, to kind of peel away? Absolutely. So a lot of times I'm kind of careless with my phone because that kind of helps me. Like sometimes I'll leave it places or it'll die. And I just kind of do it. Ooh, I just, I, I actually am more aware of the fact that I'm on it. So I just kind of do it for my own sanity, but also I don't let my kids go on or I try my best to not let them go on these devices because I don't want to start them so young, you know, cause it is a problem. So I'm more of let's go to the bookstore. I'll buy a book for experiments and try and be more hands-on and trying to, 
I tell them also that that's not real life. You know, you need to pay attention and be aware. You know, I just, all those, mm. I, of course, the memes being on social media, you see the memes of, you know, the people laying in bed on their phones, you know, all the pictures and how sad that is, you know, or somebody walking down the street. I'm very aware as I'm walking down the street. And there's times also when I am on my phone and then I put my phone down and think, oh my gosh, I would have just missed that had I not just looked up. <laughs> those are little right, moments right. in my life that just remind me, put it down. <laughs> No, that's great, Brandy. I, I'm I'm impressed for sure with the, the discipline that uh, that you've been able to in, embrace with with all of that. And I really appreciate the call, uh, Megan. Um, the, the The word she used a, a few times there is the one that jumps out to me: aware. Uh, that our mm-hmm. awareness of what we're doing and what it may be doing to us, I think, is is part of um uh the elusive uh, control i guess that 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 we want to mm. that we want to have or should have over these things that that you know we're not thinking about how uh how all of this information presents itself to us and how we take it in and how it does blur those lines brandy's taking a little more a little more active stance on all of that <laughs> Yes. And I, I too am impressed by Brandy because I do think that that, I mean, that's so hard to do. And I would say that I, that's what I hope many, many, many more of us will do, because I think it does take that, that level of, of, of kind of awareness, self-control, all of that to, to be in the moment. And of course, social media platforms are designed to be in some sense addictive. They are designed to keep us there, to keep us glued to the screens. And yes, awareness, I think, is so much a part of it. I know for myself, there's this feeling that I can't quite describe, but it's this kind of just utter emptiness that will come over me sometimes when I am on social media, you know, and you just mindlessly scroll and flick and, you know, you live in your phone. And, and I, I know that feeling very well, even though it's hard for me to describe, but that just kind of sense of you're not even thinking, you're just sort of quietly living within this fictional world. And when I Mm -hmm. sort of sense myself going there, um, I try to limit it as well, but it is very hard to limit because again, these, these platforms, you know, their interest is in keeping us in our phones, in our screens and not looking at the real world. And, and that's the tension I think in a lot of this that, um, you know, I, I would argue that they're, um, you know, I would hope that the, the companies themselves would, would bear that in mind and, you know, think about what they might do to help with this problem. But I would also say that, you know, we as consumers also can, can take a step forward and, and limit uh, our screen time as, as best we can. Yeah, yeah. I want to go to another caller now who's got uh, uh, a point that is is really relevant to what you were just saying, Megan. Michael in Westland. Michael, what's on your mind? Uh, good morning, Stephen. Thank you for receiving hey. my call. Uh, sure. I'll try to be as brief as I can. I remember when I was little, two, four, seven, and nine were free. And the only, only profit motor attached to that was the advertising. They figured mm-hmm. out, well, we need to charge on the front end, too. And it had been a cable. And the problem with that is all profit-driven to the point that even the, your news, your cable news stations, the MSNBC, CNN, and I don't consider Fox a news, uh, a news company, but it's all profit-driven and it's a lot, most of it is opinionated or someone's opinion on a particular subject. And people, I think in general, 
will accept those opinions and not do independent research to verify what's going on. I mm-hmm. I do a little Facebook, not much. <laughs> I canceled my Twitter account because they've gone completely crazy. And um, that's kind of where I'm at. I think it's probably, it's okay. Some of it's okay. The entertainment piece is okay. But the, yeah. on the other side, truth is being challenged, you know, to the, to the detriment or to the benefit of entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, Michael, I I really I really appreciate the call and and those ideas. Um, I, you know, again, it's it's tough. I I I'm impressed by folks who say, look, I'm I'm not doing this anymore. I'm uh, going and and doing something something else. But but the thing that that jumps out at me about what Michael was saying up front is this profit motive. Uh, mm. And the, the the role that advertising and and it's no longer advertising really that's paying the bills on social media. It really is the data that they have on us that they're able to sell to people who might uh, be advertising. But uh, but talk about that influence, Megan, and and how um, how that fuels the the blurring that you're talking about. Very much so. Um, you know, this idea of um, sort of the economics of media, I think, are really important here because it, I think it's very important to remember and very easy to forget that opinion is free, essentially. Opinion is um, just as a as a basic economic proposition, very easy to create when it versus uh, facts. Um, information gathering is hard. It takes uh, effort. It takes time. Um, it takes journalists who are motivated by facts and, you know, opinion, anyone can give one. And, and that I think is, is driving a lot of what we see both on social media, but especially yes, on, on cable news, um, you know, in, in magazines, even sometimes newspapers, all of that. Um, and I would say too, that opinion often is, more entertaining than the the bare facts. You know, it can be a lot more um, enticing and compelling to see a a news story, you know, presented on cable news um, than it is on a newspaper, you know, as a, you know, this happened and this happened at this time and this place. And, you know, the basic facts sometimes are not going to be as uh, riveting and is exciting and kind of, you know, fireworks and all that kind of stuff um, (laughs) compared to, you know, the news stories. And so, you know, I, I think one feature of, of, I think American culture in general, I would say that that I've been thinking a lot about as I've been um, writing this story and, and other ones as well, is just, I think we have a real problem as Americans with boredom. We, you know, really fight against that that idea of being bored. It's something that we just do not like to tolerate. And so I think that that fact itself um, bleeds into so many other elements of, of life. You know, we expect um, not only our news to be constantly riveting, to be constantly entertaining, but also education, also, you know, so many things. Um, and and I think that that's really important because I think one solution to a lot of the problems we've been talking about is if we could be just a little bit more tolerant of boredom itself and and just sort Mm -hmm. of accept that sometimes you just have to 
read the news story to, you know, to take things in, in a way that isn't going to be the most exciting, but that's okay because there are so many other ways that we can be entertained that we don't need to expect it necessarily from every single news story, from every single conversation on cable, um, every single interaction on social media, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Megan Garber of the Atlantic and continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Lucia in Ann Arbor and Bernadette in Old Redford. We will still get to you next uh, if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us. And we'll include you that way. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. We've got Megan Garber with us today. She's a staff writer at The Atlantic and authored a new piece, We've Lost the Plot, which is about the blurring of fact and reality, real world and fiction that is fueled by our addiction to information and social media and all the things that we get on these phones that we carry around with us all the time. We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Call and tell us how you manage the flood of information that's available. Uh, does it does it sometimes cause you to to blur those lines between truth and fiction? Uh, do you feel like uh, it's a problem uh, that you are addicted, as I am, uh, to the phone and to information and to the easy access to it that we have right now? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we can include you in the conversation that way. I want to go next to Lucia in Ann Arbor. Lucia, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, Hi. I, I am not prone to calling in. I've never done this before, but, uh, <laughs> but I That's do okay. have a burning question um, <laughs> and concern. Um, I, you know, in regards to the blurring between fact and fiction, I have so wondered about, you know, our children and how they are so addicted to all this media, you know, whether it be games, shows, um, you know, social media, and how this is informing some of the things that we see happening with children, you know, shooting each other. And, you know, I know years ago I... I read a book by Joseph Chilton Pierce where he talked about, you know, all of the startle effects hmm. that um, that children, you know, this was like 20 years ago. But even then, how, you know, uh, entertainment was upping the startle effects because people get used to a certain level and then they up it because otherwise they get bored. And, um, and how this was keeping children 
it, it from developing their higher level of thinking, like it's keeping them in the reptilian brain. And anyways, you know, I don't mean to go off topic, but, but I really, you know, I, I try to talk to other people about how, you know, I feel like, you know, so much of what's happening, what we, you know, these little problems with children shooting each other and, you know, the, some of the yeah. psychological problems, you know, it's have an, to do yeah. with this very thing of entertainment and um, yeah. gaming. Lucia, it's, a, it's a really important, it's a really important question, and I'm, I'm glad you called and, and asked it. Um, you know, and, and right now here in the, in the state of Michigan, of course, we're, we're grappling with, you know, um, you know, a mass shooting that happened last week in East Lansing. A few years ago, we had one in a high school here in Metro Detroit. Um, the, the the question of the role that information and entertainment plays in putting those ideas in people's minds or putting the idea in people's minds that these things are are less uh, shocking or or damaging than they are. I think that's a really important dimension of of all of this. Megan, um, I wonder what your reaction is. It very much is. And I, I think it's very hard to to sort of, there's correlation and causation, and those are very hard, I think, to, to piece out in all of this. But I do very much think that we live in this culture that is conditioning us to see each other not as full people, you know, to see each other just as 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 figments and fictions. And um, I think we see the results of that every day in very acute ways, but also in, in smaller ways. And, you know, I would add too, we're learning so much more right now about the mental health effects of social media. The, the focus has been primarily on, on teenage girls and the way platforms like Instagram and TikTok are affecting um, self-perception and, you know, it, it, encouraging them to sort of compare themselves to, uh, you know, these figures on the screen and, and all of that. And, you know, that is one feature of, of, of all of this. Um, and I think there are so many others. And, and I would add, too, there's loneliness right now. We are in this epidemic of loneliness in, in America where I think people feel very disconnected from other people and the the, mm -hmm. the factors and things that used to create community, um, which is also very much connected to the things that create meaning for people. Um, those are going away in, in a lot of contexts. And so I think all of those factors and many, many more too uh, play into this, but I think they're very much connected. They're, we are lonely, we are isolated, we are questioning ourselves, um, questioning other people, and that leads to really nothing good <laughs> when, when all of that comes together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucia, really appreciate the call and, and the thoughtful comments. Let's go next to Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. If it was up to me, I would still have one of those lifeline welfare phones, but I got pressured into getting an iPhone. And <laughs> I'm mad. You got pressured into it? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
when I when my sister comes over to visit me or we're going on a car trip together, she's annoyed. How can you listen to NPR 24-7? That gets on my nerves. <laughs> she's always on. Either she's on a cell phone or she's on a laptop. No matter what. She's eating and looking at her phone. I've said many a time, I want to kick that phone right out your hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, Bernadette, you said you were pressured into getting an iPhone. I think that's a really interesting way to describe that. Has that changed the way you interact with, with people? Do you, do you indulge these things that allow you to, to sit all day and, and, and get information? Or do you feel like you're able to, to use it uh, more sparingly? No, I never know where it is. I got to keep a landline because I have extensions. This cell phone is always in the bottom of my purse, or I forget where <laughs> I leave it. Or no, I, I I don't do that. But I tell you, between me and your audience, I do love me some YouTube. I have learned so many things, including about plastic surgery that I'm thinking about that I didn't know before or had to take a trip to the library to find out. Mm. I, you know, uh, I will I will co-sign that, Bernadette. YouTube, which for a long time for me was just kind of random uh, in the way that, that the content there was presented and organized, has become, I think, a really great repository of information about things that you're interested in. I, I, I am now paying, in fact, um, to not see ads on YouTube because I, I watch it so much. And, and as much as uh, Twitter or Facebook or, or other platforms, it's where I go to answer questions that I have about, uh, about things. Um, so, uh, you know, again, all of these things are, are seductive. Uh, in in really really important ways, uh, Bernadette. I really appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, let's go next to Perry in Detroit. Perry, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Thank you for taking yeah. the call. Listen, uh, this is really good. I had initially called in to make the comment that uh, we have so much factual information at our fingertips right now. But yet and still, with all of that information, factual information we have in our, at our fingertips, we are operating on so much misinformation. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. the word misinformation has become the most active addition to our <laughs> modern lexicon. Our language, but, as yeah. I was, but as I was sitting here uh, waiting to serious comment about uh, this factual information we have and misinformation i was listening to the comments and let me slow down and say i work in the uh mental health field as a matter of fact uh i i serve on a uh committee of policy and planning for the michigan department of health and human services mm -hmm. and one of the recommendations that i'm going to try to make at our next meeting which is coming up the 27th is how can we use social media to increase um, information uh, that will better serve our communities uh, for mental health. But also, the young lady had made the comment about we are so lonely now, so the, the things that we have that should bring us together are being used to divide us. And one other, one last part, then I get off. Uh, 
about this misinformation, this factual information we have at our fingertips and the uh, overabundance of misinformation. Listen, man, we have a sitting member of Congress, a sitting member of Congress that said, that used the term uh, Jewish space laser, space lasers, and it, and it just sucked yeah. in and was soaked in by so many people. I mean, this is, uh, it, it is, uh, I, I'm baffled. Uh, it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, Harry, that's the right word, baffled, I think, um, about some of the things that go on and, and the lack of answer to them. Perry, I really appreciate the call and the, and the comments. Megan, I'm, I'll give you a chance to jump back in here and respond uh, to the callers. Sure. Yes. I mean, I think all of those comments are, are so wonderful. And I, I would add one thing, which is that, um, you know, there's misinformation. And I think also we're seeing so many conspiracy theories um, spread on social media and, um, you know, through these platforms that, as we just said, can be used for so much good. I've, I, too, have learned so much from YouTube. I've, I will go on Wikipedia just for fun sometimes, I will freely admit. Um, there are so many good things that can come from this, but I also, yes, we have to reckon with the spread of misinformation, the spread of conspiracy theories, um, you know, this kind of unmooring from reality. And conspiracy theories will spread historically in particular times of upheaval. Um, there is something very assuring about them. And I think misinformation in general can work in the same way where conspiracy theories will assure people that the world can be made legible, that it can be made sensible. And we live in times, of course, where everything feels very chaotic. Um, you know, mm -hmm. this information that is everywhere at our fingertips that comes in streams and flows, and it, it's always there. And it's so hard to escape and it feels overwhelming <laughs> sometimes. And so, you know, misinformation, disinformation, um, all of these things can um, not only add to the chaos, but when used in a canny way from bad actors can also give a sense of reassurance to people that the, the world can in some sense be made whole and understandable. And, and that is very psychologically reassuring, I think, you know, sure. it is, I would yeah. love to live in a world where everything would make sense. And, you know, one narrative <laughs> would explain everything, but of course that is not the real world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quickly, I want to go to another caller, Stephanie in Mount Clemens. I've only got about a minute and a half left, but I think this is such an important question. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for having me. So I'll uh -huh. be quick. Um, I noticed that on TikTok, especially when I'm browsing through there, I see some course correction going on with users, stitching a video and calling out content creators for creating unrelatable or unattainable um, curated content. So, for example, mm -hmm. like creating a, a scene of a mother and her family creating, you know, a, an amazing meal with, then there's other content creators that would stitch that and say, you know what, this, this stove is actually $24,000. This, you know, this appliance is right. this much money. This is not realistic. So I guess I wanted to just quickly say that um, I do see some positive things like that happening and how, helpful that is to like see course correction on that. social yeah stephanie i really i love that point uh, megan I've, I've got only about 45 seconds left but i want to have you respond mm -hmm. to that Sure. No, I love that point too. And um, and I think that's so good that that's happening. I would say not to be the negative voice always, but I would say that one thing I worry about with that is that um, we risk, I think, becoming 
broadly cynical, you know, where, where any image that we see, we could potentially question, you know, well, that's not real. That's not, you know, that's being staged, that's being performed. And I think it's very good to question that in the context of TikTok, Instagram, et cetera. But I do worry a little bit about what might happen when we are presented, for example, with a news photo and are kind of trained to think, well, maybe that's not true. I'm not sure, you know, and it, it becomes very easy to question anything and everything when cynicism takes over in the broad way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Megan Garber, it was really, really wonderful to have you here with us for this conversation today. And uh, congratulations on the really thoughtful article in The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. That's going to do it for us this week. Come back on Monday when we will have more really great programming here for you on Detroit Today. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's P NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk again on Monday.